It's time for Done Being Single with your hosts, Trevor and Robbie Scharf. If you're dating the same type over and over again, making the same mistakes and not finding love, then you're not done being single. What you need is some tough love dating intervention, Trevor and Robbie style. Whether you're new to dating or have been dating forever, we've got you covered. Now, here are your hosts, Trevor and Robbie Sharp. I'm, I'm addicted to applause, which is yeah. what our show is about. You are addicted to applause. I am. I well, love it. You love a, a standing ovation. Oh, who does A standing O. I do. I love an O. You love a sitting O. I love a sitting O. A lying down O. Oh, we man. love those O's. Uh, topic today is, it's about addiction. It's about specifically love addiction. So to all our love junkies and excitement junkies and listeners addicted to love, chaos, and craziness, you, you've come to the right place. Can I sing? If you must. You might as well admit it. You're addicted to love. Uh, this show's for you. That was that was your singing. Yeah, I need. I need. <laughs> no, it's not. Okay. It's not. Thankfully, we are not a musical podcast. Where's the beef? I'll show you the beef, baby. Okay. So, <laughs> addiction. Addictions can come in all forms and sizes. Genders and subjects. Oh, all kinds. I mean, from, you know, come up, food, gambling. Yeah, there's judge. good addictions, there's bad addictions. Drugs, Love alcohol. addictions. Yeah, everything. There's probably an AA for every subject that you have an addiction for. Of course there is. There's a 12-step program for everything. Right. And we're going to get into that today because our guest is the expert on the subject of addictions. And I cannot wait to get into this because it's one of my favorite subjects, actually. Well, we encounter this a lot. We have a mild gambling addiction. We do. It's I think controlled. It's, it's controlled. We, we, we know that we're just terrible gamblers. We're not degenerates. <laughs> we're just yeah, bad at it. We're just bad at sports gambling. What was the oh. old, that line in the movie? Oh, my gosh. What was that goes, movie? It was, movie it was, was Bobby it? Riggs. Movie. Oh, right, right, right. And he, and he said, it was Steve Carell, and he said, you're not here because you're gamblers. You're here because you're terrible gamblers. You'd and that's have to really be a funny because, you know, really if you're a good gambler, that. you're not going to gambler meetings. No, you're not. No, because you suck. Yeah. So if you're a, a good alcoholic, <laughs> right? you're not going to AA meetings. It's when you're a bad drunk. Yeah. But if you're I... a sex addict... You're not doing it because you're having good sex or normal sex. You're going because you can't control your addiction. Exactly. Because it's sex. become a it's become pathology. Which so, is really you laugh about it, but there is such a thing as love and there's there's something called love addiction. And I think that with the love addiction, it's not just love in its best form. It's the worst kind. It's what happens when it becomes extreme and compulsive, meaning you become addicted not just not to the love so much, but to the anxiety of it, to the, like I said, to the chaos of it. Well, that's multi-leveled because you can be addicted to the love. And I think that that might stem from an insecurity of the relationship where you're not sure about your partner's whereabouts or what they're doing when they're not with you or even when they are. And at that point, you're feeling like you're losing them. So this addiction kind of just takes over every part of your being. Yes, you can be a crazy person 
addicted to love or just addicted, or you could be a regular person addicted to the craziness of it. Does well, that, am yeah, I... Yes, and you know what's so interesting about that statement is that I often wonder, who's crazier? The crazy person or the person that loves the crazy person? Both, because both people must find some value in it. They are fulfilling a a sympathetic need. And, and, you know, I speak from experience here because I wasn't always normal. I've been there. I have been involved with unstable relationships that made me crazy. So I wasn't specifically the crazy one. Okay. But that person made me crazy. Oh. Really, we're blaming it on the other person. But I must have gotten something out of it in order to have stayed in it and maybe sought it out. Because or... you you wanted to help them. You you wanted to solve them. You love projects. And you were thinking that you could get them to a better level. And then you realized you were in so deep and you couldn't do that. And you needed to get out in order to fix yourself did you ever feel something like that did you ever think "Uh uh-oh this person's making me nuts and i kind of like it oh uh no i don't think i've ever found myself in a place where i was with somebody who was nuts and i kind of liked it i didn't know that was i never did i if if i was with somebody who i felt was nuts i knew i needed to get out of it was abhorrent to you absolutely that's healthy i remember many years ago when uh, a friend of mine used to say, you know, never want to date an actress. You'll have two great weeks, but then you've got to get out of it. You've got to find a way to get out of it because she will drive you nuts. And we both had experiences with that, and it did happen, and <laughs> never looked back. I'm trying to think of the male version of that. Never date someone who's five minutes out of their marriage because that is automatic craziness. Well, that's because that you're is... just a transitional person anyway. That is guaranteed crazy-making. But you found that out the hard way. Well, because you never... You think this one's going to be different. You know, there's, a, there's, know. A, there's a flip side of this. Always date somebody who's five minutes out of a marriage because you know it's not going to last and you have a, a great couple of weeks. And a lot of guys actually view that as, that's okay, I'm good with that. I'm not looking for more than a couple of weeks or a month out of this anyway, so you know what? If, if it goes south in a month... Well, we well, know why guys like that. Why? Because crazy chicks are supposedly hotter in bed. But Right, but you're equating crazy with five minutes out of a marriage, and I'm just saying that crazy is crazy. So crazy is regardless of whether they're five minutes out of a marriage or you know, haven't been in a relationship in two years. Yeah, I'm, I'm talking about the kind that is like perma-crazy. Yeah, cray-cray. Yes. That so, is well, what, you know, people... Perma-craze. <laughs> yeah. We know some. We know some. Yes, we know those we people. Do, of course. And we know the people that love those people. And the people that love them. I get it, and yet I don't get it. I get it when, because I that was a little bit of me, but I don't understand it. After a while, don't you grow out of it? You Shouldn't would, you grow out of it? Unless the appeal, if you're loving a crazy person, is so strong that you are going to go from one crazy person to another because that is your attraction. That is your addiction, is you are addicted to crazy. Now, we're just talking about this one aspect of being 
addicted to crazy, having a thing for crazy people. It could be cigarettes, it could be alcohol, it could be gambling, it could be sex, whatever that is. Uh, but I think if you have that addiction, you're going to follow that addiction until you properly deal with it. Exactly. So hopefully today, we're going to give you practical tools and uh, skills and advice to outgrow your addiction slash compulsion slash habits and patterns, because it is ultimately very unhealthy and self-defeating. You know, again, I say that Maybe there are people that aren't necessarily addicted to crazy, but if they're addicted to love, if they're love junkies, it makes them crazy. It ultimately will make you nuts if you are constantly seeking that fix, that rush, that high of Well, that's what happens being is being in love and when you are with a crazy person, they have stretched the envelope to a point where it's going to take somebody even crazier to meet those standards that you have just left. And then it just makes you want crazy even more sometimes. So uh, this is a, a great subject to tackle, but like with anything else, it's going to involve people that are going to want to be self-aware that they actually have this issue in order to address it. I think people need to understand that there is a thing called healthy, stable love, that it needn't be just, you know, not all love makes you insane. In fact, if it's good love, it should make you, you should be kind of bored, <laughs> for lack of a better word. Well, we're going to address this. In the nicest, this. most beautiful way. Okay, we are going to address this, and we are going to go to our first break, and then who are we bringing on today? The great Judd Brewer. Really? Yes. Excellent. Yeah. Okay. This is a good one. This is a good one, people. Get ready. Assume the position. We will take our first break, and we'll be back with Dr. Judd Brewer. Okay. Judd Brewer, MD, PhD, is the Director of Research and Innovation at the Mindfulness Center and Associate Professor in Behavioral and Social Sciences and Psychiatry at the Schools of Public Health and Medicine at Brown University. He is also a research affiliate at MIT, a psychiatrist and internationally known expert in mindfulness training for addictions. Brewer has developed and tested novel mindfulness programs for habit change, including both in-person and app-based treatments for smoking, emotional eating, and anxiety. He has trained U.S. Olympic athletes and coaches, and his work has been featured on 60 Minutes, TED, Time Magazine, Forbes, BBC, NPR, Al Jazeera, Business Week, and others. His work has been funded by the National Institutes of Health, American Heart Association, among, among others. Dr. Brewer is the author of The Craving Mind, From Cigarettes to Smartphones to Love, Why We Get Hooked, and How We Can Break Bad Habits. Welcome, Dr. Brewer. Thanks for having me. Are you trying to get me addicted to applause? <laughs> well, there's nothing wrong with the little ovations every now and then. Right? It's kind of nice after doing this show for so long. Unfortunately, Trevor needs it now when I come to bed at night. It's like she needs to I need the she, wake up in the morning. I have to give the applause. It's, it's, it's sort it's, of wonderful. It's getting a little annoying, but okay. But uh, we don't know. We, we don't need it because it's just, it's just us here. It is just, it's just us talking <laughs> with a couple hundred thousand other people. Listening. Right, exactly. So should we call you Judd or Dr. Brewer? Uh, Judd's fine. Okay, Judd. So you were listening in to the first segment, 
And we fired on a lot of cylinders to sort of tee you off. And there's so much to, to unpack here. I, I guess my first question is, let's just take it, let's start from the beginning about habits and how they form and why they are so hard to break. Great place to start. One way we can start is to really kind of understand how our minds work or understand how our brains work. And we actually have these caveman brains that have been set up to help us survive, you know, on a very basic level. We form habits through a thing called reward-based learning, which is actually relatively straightforward. It has three components, a trigger, a behavior, and a reward. So for example, if we see food, that's the trigger. We eat the food, that's the behavior. And then our stomach sends this dopamine signal to our brain that says, remember what you ate and where you found it. So there's that rewarding quality. So caveman brain, modern day, uh, what's going on? So we've got food in our refrigerators. You know, there's a there's restaurants open 24 hours a day. So we don't, these mechanisms are still at play in a modern day society when we, you know, they're not critical for survival. We can, we can find food just about anywhere. Just pull out your phone, mm-hmm. <laughs> push a couple of buttons and food will show up at right. your door magically, it seems. So that's the background of how our minds work wow. and how we set up habits. Now, let's apply this to love. Basic survival mechanism, right? We've got to reproduce to keep the species going. So how does that work? You know, let's think about romantic relationships, especially early stage love. <laughs> when I when I would start dating somebody in high school, my mom uh, would tell me she'd say, "Don't just don't tell me her name for three months," because uh-huh. I, I was in the infatuation stage, and she's like, "If you make it past that three months, then it's then you can tell me her name." What a smart woman! It's worth something. That is great. <laughs> but we can think about that. Whether I look at you know my graduate students or postdocs, if they just start a romantic relationship, I basically write them off for a month because they're not going to be productive. Why is that? Well, <laughs> if you look at romance, it basically fulfills all the criteria for the same things that we look at for addiction. You know, we're we're constantly thinking about getting our next hit or fix. You know, whether it's through texting or calling them or going on the date or getting the kiss or whatever. And then after we you know, after we quote unquote use, go on the date, whatever, spend time with the person, then we're spending all this time recovering from and thinking about and reflecting back on, oh, that was such a great date or that was such a horrible thing. I can't believe I said that, whatever. So we're in withdrawal. (laughs) And we have the same types of withdrawal symptoms as as my patients show in in my clinic when they're withdrawing from drugs. You know, they're they're edgy, they're agitated, uh, they can't focus, they're restless you know, all these things. So you can basically look at these mechanisms and we see that there are similarities, not only conceptually, but also uh, experientially around, you know, how we deal with that romantic part, the infatuation stage, as we put it, of love. And in fact, there's good neuroimaging. Uh, There are good neuroscience studies uh, showing that the reward pathways are activated during romantic love. There were a couple of studies done you know, in the last decade where, you know, for example, these groups would put people in an fMRI scanner and they would show them pictures of their beloved and they would see which parts of their brains activated. And they would activate these reward pathways, like this dopamine pathway that I mentioned earlier, but they would also activate a self-referential part of the brain. 
and that's a that's a critical piece here. Um, it's called the posterior cingulate cortex. The details aren't important, but basically that's like the self part of the brain. So, for example, in one study, they found that the shorter the relationship, the greater the activation in the posterior cingulate cortex. So these were people who'd been in romantic relationships for seven months, say. In another study of people who'd been in relationships for 21 years, stable, married, whatever, they found that the same self-referential brain region was activated the higher somebody scored on what was called this obsession part of a passionate love scale. So there's something about the obsessive quality of love, even when we're in a stable relationship, or that uh, infatuation stage part of love when we're in a very, you know, at the beginning of a relationship, because Mm -hmm. what's the relationship about when we're just starting the relationship? It's about me getting my love, getting Mm -hmm. my, my needs gratified. So it's interesting, you know, romantic love can fall into the very same addictive loop as food or cigarettes or smartphones or anything else. I'm curious, what if you came from a family, had an upbringing, a childhood that was absolutely normal and stable and there was no alcoholism or any kind of, you know, irregular, I guess, expressions of love or withholding? I mean, can you still turn out to be addictive? You know, can you, I always think that, well, this person came from a bad family, and that's why they're so desperate or they're so, you know, they're so addicted to chaos because they grew up with it. What if you're not? What if you grew up in a, in a happy, stable household? Yeah, so there are shared qualities between the feelings of being addicted to chaos and just being addicted to the romantic aspect of love. So, for example, I didn't know this until I looked back, but in college, you know, I was totally addicted to the romance. I would do all these things just to kind of enhance the romance, sending my girlfriend on scavenger hunts that were exciting and and fun and, and all these things. So there are shared qualities of just even the the fun of romance, of the chase, of the catch, of the mm-hmm. of the unknown that share, you know, there's this restless quality, this driven quality, this excited quality that can be shared with the same types of things when we're addicted to chaos. It's just the subject matter is slightly different, chaos versus romance, but so you know, there's still the addicted quality. How is one to acknowledge that they may be addicted to crazy or chaos in someone else, how does that present itself? Well, I think it takes a bit of awareness to start with, some (laughs) self-awareness. And so the way I think about this, and this is actually how we think about this with any type of treatment that my, you know, my group develops app-based mindfulness trainings to help people with addicted and habit change, you know, for example, with anxiety, with with emotional eating. When we develop our apps, we start by helping people understand how their minds work. So for example, with anxiety, because there are sure qualities of anxiety and, and what we're talking about here, we help people map out their habit loops around anxiety. So if they have some negative emotion, that's the trigger and it triggers them to worry, that's the mental behavior, then we help them really explore what's the result of this. You know, is it helping them try to feel in control? Uh, Is it helping them distract from that negative emotion, whatever? So the first step is mapping it out and seeing if it's causing problems. Well, that's the same 
with you know being addicted to chaos or addicted to romance or being addicted to being being in those you know short uh, relationships mapping that out understanding how our minds work that's that's the critical first step we have to take our second break so let's do that right now and then we'll come back with more from dr jed i want to talk about willpower in this whole equation i believe in it i think because I'm living proof that I, you know, I exercise willpower all the time to break habits. Does willpower work with love addiction? <laughs> Do you want the truth? Yes. yes. Give it to us. <laughs> no. Wow. Great. Thank Wasn't you for saying that. that. No, that's great. Yeah. Go on. So this is why. And if you talk to the basic cognitive neuroscientists, they don't actually spend much time in the willpower domain because uh, there's not a lot of evidence for it. What there is a lot of evidence for is that we can change behavior based on looking clearly at the rewarding properties of behavior. So habitual pa- behavior in particular gets laid down and the brain as uh, trying to make things efficient will just lay down a memory and say, okay, just do that but the, that memory gets laid down based on the reward value. And so it lays down a reward value at a certain time and then says, you know, don't worry about the details, just do it again. You know that's a good thing. So for example, uh, learning to smoke cigarettes usually happens as a teenager, usually happens in the context of trying to be cool or rebel from school or whatever. So there's this whole context that lays down this reward value for smoking and we just go and habitually smoke inside, you know, patient Uh, or somebody using our craving to quit app who was smoking for 40 years, right? And so he had just kept that reward value stored as a habit and just repeated over and over and over for 40 years, like literally close to 300,000 times. So totally laid down. And then we had him pay attention as he was smoking. (laughs) He looks at his cigarette. He's like, how did I not notice that this is really crappy? It just does not taste good. And so he had paid it, he kind of opened that back up to explore the current reward value in the current concept context. And the current reward value was, this is not great. And so that reward value dropped in his brain. There's a whole brain system linked to determining and storing reward value in a certain hierarchy. It's called the orbitofrontal cortex. So that part of the brain is really critical for changing behavior. Notice how I haven't mentioned the word willpower in there mm-hmm. at all because that's not based on willpower, it's Mm -hmm. just based on paying attention. So we've actually done studies with our, for example, with our app-based mindfulness training programs, because they help people bring awareness to their specific actions in real time. So for example, we have this Eat Right Now app that helps people with emotional eating. So when they have a habit of overeating or eating food that's not great for them, we help them pay attention and update that reward value. And within a very short period of time, that we can actually mathematically model that reduction in reward value as people pay attention to that behavior. So not about willpower. A lot of these people come to our program because they've failed at losing weight uh, in the past or whatever. This is a completely different process, but it actually taps into the core neural mechanisms of how we learn. That's the reward-based learning process. Reward-based learning is based on rewards, not on the behavior itself. So if if behavior change happened based on the behavior, willpower would work, where we just focus on the behavior. You want to stop smoking? Just stop. If you want to stop 
overeating, just stop. If you want to stop pining away mm -hmm. over your failed romantic relationship, just stop, right? That's what that's one of the hearts of, of willpower. But that's not how our brains learn. Our brains learn based on reward. If we see how unrewarding it is to be <laughs> that person that's either whining or pining or beating ourselves up over, oh, I can't believe I did that. You know, it was my fault that this relationship failed. If we can really focus on that aspect of experience and that it's not that rewarding, it's much easier to move on, to change our behavior. Okay, great point. And I'm trying to envision within an addiction, so much of an addiction has a high and a low. And they're probably equal in terms of why you are addicted to something. It's the high that probably keeps you coming back, but the low is every bit as great as that high is. So why isn't the low turning you off? more than the high is turning you on. <laughs> yeah, it's because our minds are tricky. <laughs> and they say, oh, it wasn't that bad. <laughs> right. It wasn't. That... Oh, come on. You're over. Right. You're exaggerating. And then, we're, and then we do it again. And we're like, wow, that was terrible. And our brain's like, oh, yeah, just don't, you don't remember that part. <laughs> it, it's so true because just in our little sports gambling analogy here, we love when we win a game, mm -hmm. but losing is kind of our comfort zone. <laughs> it becomes, yeah. that's, that's, it's more normal to lose than it is to win. So there's something actually comforting about a loss. I can't explain it, but it's like, oh God, so yeah, okay, we're, we lost again. Well, speak for yourself. They didn't cover. <laughs> you, I'm, you, I'm better at it than you are. You are. I don't know those feelings Not that you're talking about. Nights. Although we do okay. have a friend who stopped sports gambling. He was a big football gambler and said that when the losses were bigger than the joy he got from the wins, that was his cue to stop, which I get. And even in my own little personal experience, Truth be told, I will, when I'm very anxious, I will take an Ativan, okay? Or, you know, some people take Xanax, but I have, I have a, you know, Ativan that I don't take very often. But the thing that stops me from taking one, oh, by the way, so as an alternative. finish a thought, please? Okay. You've got to finish I'm your finishing thought. the thought. You're, you're interrupting I your own self. I have found an alternative to anti-anxiety meds and that is CBD okay so I'm now taking CBD oil and the reason why I looked to other um, alternative treatments is because the downside of when you come off or when you're coming off an anti-anxiety medication that feeling is so shitty and so yuck that it outweighs the you know whatever benefits I got from you get it Dr. Judd so there's a great example of the negative results of behavior. And Thank so it's you. easy to shift to behavior from that because you see the negative results. Now, what if I suggested that we can actually tap into, so you're talking about what I think of as the BBO, the bigger, better offer. Our brain's always looking for that bigger, better offer. So it might be CBD oil over Ativan or Xanax, or it might even be if we're in the love loop where we're always looking for that more exciting 
relationship or the more whatever, the more, 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 you know, because our brains become habituated to the less. So what if I suggested that that bigger, better offer is actually awareness itself? And by that, I mean tapping into these qualities and aspects of, of curiosity, of kindness that even come with stable and very healthy romantic relationships that don't rely on the me part of the brain, you know, like me getting something, something related to me, but something that is, that's more peaceful and even joyful that comes with connection. And those are things that things like mindfulness and awareness trainings can help us tap into. So for example, just in an extreme case, we have an app for anxiety, it's called Unwinding Anxiety. And we've had people be able to tap into the quality of curiosity itself, just that curious quality of awareness as they bring awareness to a full-blown panic attack to ride out those panic attacks where they find that the curiosity actually feels better than the panic itself. And they're able to be with what, you know, these, these feelings of, of panic and actually ride out full-blown panic attacks. So there's an example of where curiosity is that bigger, better offer. And I think with romantic love, we see this with connection. So connection feels more solid, more stable. Uh, it just feels more joyful than that urge, that restless quality that comes with the infatuation or the obsession. Mm -hmm. So it's that awareness factor, though, that I think people are not looking at. They're not yes. ready to see themselves as others may see them. And until they are aware, self-aware, there's no way that they are going to tackle the issue, I don't think. Agreed. That's why we've had to, you know, we set up these programs where it's like 10 minutes of training every day for a month. It's not something that you can you just take a pill for. Uh, it's something that we have to develop, especially if we have strong habits. And then how do you make the association that that addiction is bad for them? We help people really pay attention to what the actual results are. So whether it's eating, you know, with our Eat Right Now app or anxiety with the anxiety app or just helping people pay attention to the aspects of their romantic relationship where they can start to really clearly see, oh, yeah, here's a beneficial aspect of our of this relationship i feel like we really connect we can really talk to each other we really get each other what's the result of that or here you know we're constantly fighting or i feel like you know he or she doesn't get me oh this isn't rewarding so we can really just pay attention to the specific aspects of our relationships and see you know what's that cause and effect relationship how rewarding is the relationship and the different elements of it it seems like there's there's such a uh, a similarity across the board for all addictions in terms of recognizing that the down is greater than the high. Exactly. And that ding, only ding, ding, ding. that in comes order with, for that to be tackled. That comes with yep. self awareness and and mindfulness. And that yes. moment, that beat, you take you just take a beat where you go, wait a minute, do I want this? Is this going to be good for me? Is this going to benefit me? Uh, that moment and that's where the willpower comes in to combat it which doctor said doesn't work <laughs> right but it's the that that ability to go wait a second am i what if i do this how is it yeah. going to make me feel let me think about this first you've got measure to be a very twice. strong measure person. twice cut once it's, okay as we, robbie Scharf always says and we are going to break once and cut twice 
So no, that sounds uh, very flashlighting related. Not at all. Breaking. <laughs> so let's take a. Cutting. We're gonna take a break, and we're gonna come back with more from Dr. John. <laughs> Why does chaos make people feel alive? <laughs> it's a great question. What does chaos feel like? Does it energize us? Does it? Is it a very intense feeling, or is it kind of ho hum? Mm. Are you asking me? Yes. I'm assuming it's a t- intense. It's yeah. intense and it makes people feel like they're on the edge. It's yes. either, I don't know, it's exciting or it's dangerous. And both of those prompt us to action. So this caveman brain was set up to get us to act. So our brain starts spritzing dopamine in anticipation of doing some behavior that's rewarding. So we think about being with our romantic partner and our heart starts fluttering. Um, what was it in Bambi? Twitter-pated, right? We become Twitter-pated. Hmm. So that feeling of arousal says, hey, you're alive. And it's not only says you're alive, it says do something. And I think that's part of what makes us feel so alive because it's, it's that edgy ants in your pants feeling. Do you think that there is a deeper self-sabotage or self-loathing component to love addiction? It depends. In some instances, certainly people can have that as one of their habit loops around love addiction. But in others, they could just be addicted to the thrill or addicted to the chase. And this is why we, we see this all the time where, you know, people are really excited about the potential of dating somebody. And then as soon as they kind of land that relationship, they start to get bored and they're like, eh, I'm moving on because it's not the actual relationship. It's the uncertainty and the excitement that comes with, can I land this one? So personally speaking, I can tell our listeners out there that having been single for as long as, I don't know, I'm not going to speak for Robbie, but I know for me that being single for that long was like living on the edge all the time. It was not fun. I guess that was my signal that I was never in a healthy relationship because I guess just the anxiety be so off the charts all the time until Mm -hmm. I met someone that made me feel calm and stable and that's how I knew that this was the right situation and it is possible to find a healthy stable and lovely boring relation I mean I say boring in the best way yeah let's explore that boring piece because I I would suggest that healthy romantic relationships can last loving relationships for years and years and years and they don't necessarily need to feel boring we might not be doing the excited things that we think about that we see in the movies or at the beginning of a relationship but that's because we're in the dating game so to speak and that excited quality can go away and i think that can often be a sign of a maturation in in a relationship what that leaves space for is the connection where we can feel connected and not feel like we need that buzz, that hit of dopamine in order to feel like it's a great relationship. Often that's that's a, a red herring. Mm-hmm. That's that's not the, the uh, marker of a great relationship. That's a marker of instability because our brain's saying, do something, do something, do something. <laughs> but yeah. in fact, when we can trust that relationship, that connection can be, we can notice that connection as so much stronger and it just feels better. I was going to ask, Doctor, you obviously have studied many anonymous type of helpful 
treatments for addictions, and I was curious about the similarities between all of them. Do they treat addictions in a different manner, or are there some similar segments to this that you uh, can draw on? The one that I've seen that has the most consistency, and I'm a little biased because I've studied this a lot and we've really worked out some of the mechanisms of how it works, is is the mindfulness training. We've been talking a lot of it, a bit about it earlier, but it really helps us tap into that very basic reward-based learning system. So I would say anything that taps into that mechanistically is probably going to show some utility, and that's going to be cross addiction because that habit loop is it, that same mechanism is at play. It's just different content. So you know whether it's cocaine or alcohol or romance, that same reward systems at play. I have to give a shout out to mindfulness. I practice MBSR, mindfulness-based stress reduction. I've been doing it since 2012. It has helped me enormously. Isn't that I, what it says on your Ativan bottle? No. Oh, okay. I was curious. I owe a lot to mindfulness practice. I really do. I think it helped me ultimately attract a stable, really great, healthy person into my life. It also helped me find unstable, instability, chaotic situations, abhorrent. It wasn't really willpower. It was that moment where I would think to myself, what am I doing? How am I benefiting from this? Um, I don't want to feel this way. This sucks. This makes me feel like shit. And I deserve better. And I'm going to do whatever work it takes to get healthy myself and to find this kind of behavior in other people absolutely distasteful and not sexy because it's not chaos. It's just not sexy, people. Yeah. So you're describing this aspect of understanding your mind, mind mapping. And that's, that's the first step that helps us get to the place where we can see, oh, this old, these old behaviors aren't that great. And you found the bigger, better offer, right? It helps open you to see and find, oh, this is what I'm looking for. But we don't know what we're looking for until we know our own minds. So that's a, that's a beautiful description of using awareness, you know, through MBSR to actually find your authentic self and what you really want and what you treasure. And then, you know, surprise, it shows up because you can see it. Oh, it's here. Yeah, it's possible. I'm telling everybody listening to this that you deserve a healthy, wonderful, mutually loving and quiet and calm relationship. It is possible. It is doable. You are not screwed for life. Just because maybe you came from a chaotic home doesn't mean that you have to be a legacy to that. Okay. I wanted to address contemporary addictions such as electronic addictions, the internet, internet dating, dating apps. What's your thoughts there, Oh my God, that's a whole other episode. We're going to have to have you come back for that. But yes, I'm dying (laughs) to know your feelings on that. So I can I can give you a, a preview of what would be a long discussion, but these things are designed to be addictive. We these companies know all of this cognitive neuroscience about what makes things sticky, what what's a hook, how to make barriers to entry very low. You know, all you have to do is swipe, and you, you know, you've right. got a date. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's pretty easy, and 
it's like playing the slot machine. Swipe, 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 bingo. You never know when you're going to get a hit. So you get this whole intermittent reinforcing quality to it. You've got your slot machine in your pocket as your phone. These weapons of mass distraction, as some have put it, are really that. It's We've got all these elements that make these things extremely addictive. And then on top of that, we can now suddenly compare ourselves to everybody else. So there's this whole comparison thing that makes us feel like we are inadequate. Mm. Oh my uh, God. So, so there's true. all of that. So that's just a preview of just some we're of the gonna, elements. We're going to have to have him back. That's, that's a really preview sticky. Preview for part two, yeah, this Dr. Is, Judd. Because we could do it just a, a that's dating a whole other hour thing we should do. Yeah. Unfortunately, our time has come to an end no. for this show. Yes. And wow. Dr. Judd, you have such a calming voice and a presence. Thank you for that. Because it's so wonderful to encounter someone like yourself that has such knowledge and an ability just to kind of calmly tell us what's going on. Yeah, that's why he's good at what he does. That's excellent. <laughs> so, thank you. Uh, Dr. Judd, how can people find you? I have a website, uh, drjud.com, D-R-J-U-D.com. That's got a bunch of free resources. We've got some educational videos, animations, uh, give a TED talk about how to break habits. We even have a free healthcare provider course that people can take to learn more about how mindfulness can be used clinically. And and then, of course, uh, we've got these evidence-based, app-based mindfulness training programs. One is called Eat Right Now. Website's goeatrightnow.com. Uh, one's Unwinding Anxiety, unwindinganxiety.com, and then Craving to Quit for Smoking. Those are all available on iOS and Android platforms. But you can find all that stuff. You can find my book on the Dr. Judd website. So there's a that's a good place to start. Well, thank you, Dr. Judd Brewer. This has been most enlightening. Oh, it's been great. And I cannot wait for everybody more. Everybody got Are lots out talking? of it. I could keep going. Well, you, you can keep going anyway. We know that, but that's besides the point. I'm addicted to <laughs> interesting conversations. Yes, but at least you're aware about it. So, thank you, Dr. Judd. You can follow us at Done Being Single everywhere. Please also subscribe because that way you won't have to go looking for us. You can find us we'll find you. Uh, everywhere you get your podcasts. Also, if you have questions, problems, issues. Please email us at Treva and Robbie at DoneBeingSingle.com. And then finally, if you're interested in my coaching services, visit me, work with me at TrevaBrandonSharf.com. Excellent. On that note. Dr. Judd, thank you so much. It's been a great hour. We are done being single. We are. We also, we're done being addicted, Hopefully. done being chaotic but we want everybody to be addicted to done our show done being compulsive <laughs> what else obsessive we're fucking done okay, man that's it so are you guys everybody have a great week and we will be back next week with more guests more fun more topics more, more addictions enlightenment. okay <laughs> bye everybody I'm Shadow Stevens with my friends Trevor and Robbie see you next week on Done Being Single <laughs>